We have a real treat for music aficionados this week as I'm joined by Andrew Slater and Jacob Dillon to discuss their brilliant documentary Echo in the Canyon. The film celebrates the popular music scene that came out of LA's Laurel Canyon in the mid-60s as the Birds, the Beach Boys, Buffalo Springfield and the Mamas and Papas cemented the Californian sound. Andrew and Jacob explore the interplay between these artists in a string of informal interviews with many of the key players and along the way discover how interconnected the creative process became during the now legendary period. Jacob also covered a number of classics from the era with contemporary artists, including Fiona Apple, Regina Spector, Beck and Josh Om. We'll kick off with You Showed Me by Roger McGinn and Jean Clark of The Birds, performed here by Jacob and Cat Power. Thank you so much for sparing the time to chat to me today. I had a glorious uh, experience watching your film. Oh, what a beautiful tribute to so many things. Um, congratulations. Can I ask, first of all, what was, the, what was the seeds to the idea of this whole project of kind of really celebrating this scene and this time and these bands what was it that was the kind of thing of going we should do something whether it's a, an album a film a concert what was the starting point well i think for for us it came at a time when we were sort of in a period of like transition jacob had just done you know several tours and albums and i had left a job i had at the capital which we will call fired and um, and, you know, we were looking just for a project to do, and, but not with any kind of, you know, immediate determination. And we saw this film called Model Shop, which was the random viewing on the turn of classic movies. For some reason, that film, which we had never seen, it showed us L.A. at this time of incredible innocence and these places that we all still go to. And, you know, you never know what's going to inspire you to do something. But for some reason, even though that film was shot in 67 by Jacques Demy, uh, the director, it just reminded us of the beginnings of that, you know, of the Southern California music scene uh, and what was happening there and between all of the bands that came here to sort of be like the Beatles and chase that dream that they'd seen in A Hard Day's Night. And that was the, the genesis for it, really. California was like this 
legendary paradise. This was the folk rock special. The Lower Canyon became this heavenly place. To be that close to the Sunset Strip, and yet you had a feel that you were in the country. It's beautiful. It's like an open ticket to a studio, to a record, to everything. That's an incredible environment for a musician to be in. I fell in love with it. All the bands you think of is that California sound. Buffalo Springfield. My name is Neil Young. The Beach Boys. Hi, Brian Wilson. The Mamas and Papas. The Birds. They were all there. This kind of thing could only happen in Laurel Canyon. The music that came out of the Laurel Canyon scene was inspiring to my generation, the musicians and songwriters. You guys ready to go to the 60s? You got it. Go where you want to go, do what you want to do. It was a nice circle of really good artists thinking, like, how can I make a record as good as that one? This music shaped the second half of the 20th century. We all listening to each other's records. You can see the cross-pollination. The Beach Boys were said to be responsible for Sgt. Pepper. They're just the best. Imagine a band influencing the Beatles. Everyone was writing together. You'd go over to someone's house and you always brought your guitar. People would just knock on the door and go, hey, listen to this. Brian lived right down the street from us. The whole living room was full of sand. She said, I know it's crazy, but he's writing some great songs. And he was writing pet sounds. <laughs> These records come all of a sudden like an avalanche, and there's nothing like them before. Music happens at a particular moment in time, and it changes everything going forward. The power of music is undeniable. I truly believe it can change the world. This is where big dreamers went to. There's a beautiful way that you almost pay tribute to the, the film model shop in, in your film and the, the way that you, you obviously reference it and you, you, you have a couple of scenes that you use with the film, but the lovely way that you kind of almost intercut between the way that it shot LA to modern day LA and there's lovely kind of cuts between that and, and Jacob, you kind of, you know, walking into to guitar shops or, or other kind of, you know, establishments and stuff. It's a beautiful kind of synergy between, between the two. Was it fun to shoot? and work out the aesthetic of how your film would look? Well, parts of it were fun to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> Which bits were the most fun to shoot then? <laughs> I think you could probably tell by, by my, most of my expressions <laughs> when I was having a good time or not. Um, no, it was mostly, uh, you know, it's a film. So yeah, setting, it's, a, it's time consuming. You're setting up and all that, and that takes time, and whether it's lights or blocking traffic or whatever, but as soon as the other artist walks in, you know, that's pretty much all you're noticing. and. You know, I'm a student of all these people. Some of them I, I know better than others. Some I know very little. But uh, it just, uh, you know, I'm still just a student. So it, it was always just kind of a gift to be able to sit with them and be able to talk to them and have them rewind the clock and think about things that maybe they don't always want to think about or yeah. maybe jog their memory. But, you know, it really depended on who I was speaking to, you know, and how engaged they were. And But even 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 besides that, I was always aware of just these people taking the time to talk to us, and that was always a thrill. So I, I started my, my kind of career at MTV here in the UK, and so I've spent a long time interviewing 
are it's both in music and film i know i know musicians can be a pain in the arse and really tricky to interview sometimes you've just got to almost kind of just read the situation and try and go with it so i feel your pain jacob i absolutely yeah. feel the pain yeah. um but but it must have been weird for you in a way because you're you know you're on the you're on their side you talk about being a student of theirs but you're still on on that side of it you know you're a musician you're such an accomplished artist in your in your own right well i think that you think you're right as far as because of that and because you know no offense to MTV or any other situation like that. Um, because I'm not because I'm not a journalist. I had no agenda. They knew they yeah. were making a movie. Um, it was more of a conversation. They weren't yeah. pumping records. They weren't promoting concerts or anything. There was an ease with them. I think that was you know whether I knew them well or not. It was just that you know I was you know for, from somewhat uh, I'm one of them, and at least I'm trying to follow their paths. At least I think it's true. I mean I, I wouldn't necessarily notice that watching it myself, but that is what's different about this than maybe other documentaries or other interviews is that uh, it's just a conversation there is there's nothing to really get across other than you know whatever you feel like talking about yeah absolutely and i think that that's what's really lovely is that the journey that the film takes and i love that whole notion as well of of the kind of almost how the scenes kind of pass the baton you know whether it was like rubber soul influence and brian to then write pet sounds that then the beatles then wrote sarge that was amazing kind of to hear that come from people's mouths who were part of that whole scene that was extraordinary i think it's almost unearthed quite a lot that no one's actually sort of vocalized which was that must have been kind of nice to 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 unearth uh well andy i think we both agree it was and i think we both knew a lot about the the scene and 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 these people's time in that scene but you know what's interesting too is you know they've had a lot of time to reflect on it and most Mm. of these kind of situations when you're in it you're not really aware that it's happening and then people like us remind them that it was a pretty interesting time and, and noteworthy but you know it's like a lot of things it's it's uh you know how much do they remember do they know it was happening when it was happening or did it, did it happen quickly i mean i mean i think in terms of music and scenes ev- you know, evolving very different now i mean by today's standards you know five years is what people take between records but most of these scenes and the I mean, beatles were done in eight years so it's a lot happening all at once and you know i hope that they're you, get, you hope they were paying attention as much as fans were but it's hard to know when you're in it when you're doing it so we've had a lot of time to think about it though so yeah and some some remember more than others obviously you know the film's about the echo of those ideas you know it's sort of more about the echo than it is about the canyon i mean laurel canyon is the place that you know that they live and that it takes place but it is really as you point out you know about the ideas that each of these creative people had inside these bands and trading those ideas you know as you hear in the springfield you have multiple writers and multiple singers the same in the birds and it's the trading it's the echo of their creativity that goes back and forth in the canyon then ultimately it's in the film you can see that it changes the course of the beatles because you know george writes if i needed someone based on bells of rimney Oh, what will you give me? Say the sad bells of Rimney. Is there hope for the future? Say the brown bells of Mercury. Who made the night away? Say the black bells of London. Kill 
some other day then It might not have been like this But you see now I'm too much in love Carve your number on my wall And maybe you will get a call from me If I needed someone You know, but when you also mentioned the thing about cutting between model shop, what we were trying to do was, you know, it's also about the echo of these ideas across time, mm -hmm. because this music, you know, is still inside the music that's being created today from, you know, many contemporary artists, not the least of which are the people in the film, you know, Jacob and Beck and Fiona Apple. So it was an attempt to really jump back and forth between time to show you that it's still the same in a sense. And, you know, it's uh, given birth to, you know, something, you know, also of artistic merit. It's so brilliant because even within the first like five minutes of the film, you're kind of like, oh my God, no way. Oh, whoa. And another one. All these kind of legends that, you know, for me, a lot of it was stuff that my, that I learned through my dad's record collection. You know, he was a massive cream Eric Clapton fan, you know, and so, um, you know, hearing Eric Clapton talk about stuff as well. I can't wait to, for my dad to sit and watch this with my dad when we we're allowed to. But that was just fantastic within the first few minutes. And starting with Tom Petty as well, you know, such a bittersweet sort of moment as well to have him part of this film and you dedicate the film to him at the end, which is such a, a beautiful thing to do. But, I, you know, he makes you laugh when, when he's playing the guitar and he goes, you can't afford the rest. And that was just a sort of really brilliant, lovely kind of moment. And I think it really set the tone for the film as well in terms of, you know, this is... This is a journey, but we're going to have fun along the way as well. What was it like to spend time with Tom in a reflective time, Jacob? Tom, you know, we, I don't know if we knew at the time. He was one of the later interviews. And I don't know if we knew at the time how important he was going to be as uh, such an accomplished fan of himself. But, uh, you know, he was a fan of all that music. And he was a teenager when it arrived. And he certainly emulated a lot of those artists. And certainly the 12-string Roger McGuinn. But if you, you know, you can see in the interview, his, you know, he's not speaking from somebody who was in the scene. He's speaking just ec ecstatically as a fan who grew up at that time, at that age when it was really important to discover music. Um, but on top of that, not just being a witness to it, he also happened to be Tom Petty. You can see how he internalized that music and what he did with it. And of course, he's funny. Tom was brilliant. He was really funny. But, you know, his enthusiasm for that music re remained, I think, much like a teenager. I mean, he was critical a lot of it, too, you know, but I think he was aware of the impact of it and it, it moved him greatly. And, you know, I don't know if we, when we, when we sat with him, we knew how important that was going to be because it just yeah. turned out to be that way. When he spoke, he spoke so enthusiastically like such a fan and it just happened to be odd that it was Tom Petty talking about it. But uh, it was one of the later moments we had and, you know, Tom was obviously very special and we were, we knew at the moment that he showed up that it was really crucial that he join us. Yeah. Where did you start with it in terms of, you know, when you, you know, when you look at who you wanted to speak to, you obviously have a wish list and I guess that it's kind of, you know, almost kind of get that first person of going, okay, yeah, we've done one. Now we can kind of, was it a case of that? Or how did you kind of navigate who you would talk to and, and, and asking them if they would do it? Was that an easy process? Uh, well, Andy, I mean, I think it just kind of unraveled, you know, I mean, there were certain characters that were on the wish list throughout, but, you know, 
these are not people who are bored who are just you know waiting to talk to people about the old days so yeah some schedules moved around some bounced but i think our first interview was eric clapton and that just you know once you tell people eric clapton came down and talked i mean everything gets a little easier i suppose the main thrust also is just look the songwriters who wrote these songs behind every song is a great story and as you embark on you know making a record and covering a song you know, you start to get curious and all of these songs really tie together in, you know, in the narrative of the film, which is one song, you know, influencing another. And, you know, we find out in the film that, you know, Eric Clapton wrote Let It Rain uh, as an inspiration from hearing questions. from hearing, uh, you know, Judy Collins. And so that theme was just throughout. And George Harrison wrote, you know, if I needed someone after hearing, you know, Bells of Remney. And so that's the path of, of trying to uncover why people wrote those songs and how they were influenced and, and, you know, what fun they had along the way. That scene where Eric's playing, they have the kind of guitar sort of solo moment between Eric and, and Stephen is just extraordinary. It's so beautiful. Well, you know, some of Eric's best work in the early 70s, you know, was in a, in a kind of friendship with Stephen on, on, on Stephen's first solo record. Eric plays just a, you know, blistering solo on a song called Go Back Home.
And uh, then he told us in the in when we were with him, although it isn't in the film, that there's a bass line in the beginning of Let It Rain that Stephen wrote in the very intro. And, and so, you know, all of that stuff was just the, the magic of, of doing this film. We, we got to look under the hood. Yeah. And Michelle Phillips as well. She's brilliant. I love her. And that kind of whole the California Dreaming story, uh, which was amazing. Then you almost, it's so brilliant when you hear the stories and then you, you hear the track, whether that be Jacob with you with your band playing at this incredible concert or and the the, the the lyrics just have such a more intense meaning and a, a clearer kind of understanding to the formation of the the story it's a beautiful kind of unveiling of the the kind of journey of those songs that must be great to discover as well along the way you can do that with these kinds of songs these are not just my opinion these are great songs and some of the great rock songs or folk pop songs that we'll ever have and they're really pliable and uh, you know, as another artist who does cover songs, sometimes you start playing a song and you realize this just isn't, it's not going to work without the recording or the technology or the guitar solos or whatever. But these songs can be covered by lots of different people because they're just really strong songs. But yeah, they, they depending on the time and who you're playing with them with, the interpretation changes. Uh, and it, yeah, it was it was nice to see how these songs could unfold and, and what they could uh, what, what they could become. But you know, in that same regard, we didn't really reinvent the songs. You don't really need to do that with songs like these. You know, if it's a two chord song, there's not much going on. There's a lot you probably have to do. But these songs are so sturdy, you really just have to play them. And then your own interpretation is natural. It's going to happen. You can't avoid that. I love the look on your band's face when Brian Wilson came in the studio. That was, that was priceless. Well, oh, my God. You know, I, I, you know I, I'd never met Brian personally. And it's no. a little bit like big coming in the room. Like, you just, you, you're, not, you're not sure it's real or not for a few moments. It takes a minute to figure out if it's real. It's somebody you don't think you're going to... Uh, probably see in person you've seen them for years on television or magazines or on your, in your record collection but you know it's still startling when they when they come in and you realize that, that, that it's a real person and here comes brian wilson <laughs> when, when he says what key are you playing in and, and you go you go oh this and he goes no 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 you want to play in this key it's brilliant well, you know and i didn't you know it's not for me to say anything to brian wilson but we all know like when you start covering a song the first thing you got to do is figure out where, where <laughs> yeah. you're going to place it on the neck of the guitar because we don't all sing in the same key. I can't sing like Mike Love or Carl Wilson. So we have to move it around to find out where I can sing it well. And then, you know, if I'm going to, if it's going to be a duet, you got to find a spot where that person can hopefully sing well also. Still, when Brian Wilson tells you it's the wrong key, you're just going to agree. <laughs> yeah, totally. It was so lovely to watch. It really, really was.
with regards to the concert as well, deciding on the songs that you were going to include in that was was that an easy an easy choice? You know, working out that set list and the songs that you were going to record as well. Well, I mean, Andy, you agree. I mean, I think that the concert was dictated by the songs we recorded for the record, and the people who sang on the record, I think, mostly were the same ones who played at the concert. So most of the work you're talking about was in the studio and making the record um, and trying to figure out what songs I would sound best singing, and then you've also got to figure out who was going to sing it with me, because we wanted it to be mostly duets. And if that other person singing is going to be an, uh, uh, another man or it's going to be a woman, that changes you know, the identity of the song quite a bit. So most of that work you're talking about was just casting of the recorded songs. You got to go away. film and do it with a concert component you know and and the footage from from recording the record i went to a filmmaker because you know i I, even though i was a writer in the early part of my career i was not a filmmaker and i went to a filmmaker and i said you know we want to you know pay tribute to these songs and we have this idea about you know the echo of their ideas and i said we have a concert and the filmmaker said to me he's a very established filmmaker he said well you can't really do that you know you can't really film the concert and have all this stuff because I, I tried it with one of my documentaries it just doesn't work and you know I went back to the, the the record label and the financing company of the project and I said well the guy says you can't do it and the guy at the film company said well sure you can why don't you do it and I thought well this guy's an idiot because I mean you know, I <laughs> make the film but you know it turned out he was an idiot savant because we, it, it seems to be you're making people happy Anyway. Yeah, and now you're a filmmaker. See, you're fine now. You can. You know, you know. <laughs> but I would wear that, you know, put that on my shingle. But I did make a film, and it was, you know, it's a very powerful thing after making records. And, you know, without, without Jacob, you know, to do it with, I it never would have been able to get done. So, you know, it's also a, an amazing journey, you know, to take something from an idea and, you know, put it in a theater. Andrew, for you, in terms of, you know, what you, what you have done in the, in the music industry and, and recognizing and appreciating through this film this particular era and scene do you think there are as important scenes since then there has been as an important scene since that point that has had as much of an influence and inspiration to people absolutely i mean and they happen you know periodically through time whether it's in athens georgia or it's in seattle Mm -hmm. or it's in london the thing about this scene is that there was a certain 
innocence. It was about the, the really the age of innocence of, of this particular genre of music and, and all music. I think when you talk about, you know, Rubber Soul and Pet Sounds and Sgt. Pepper, I mean, that's the bedrock for, you know, recorded music for the next 50 years for making albums. moment in time, I don't think people were as concerned in 65 to 67 about stardom and, and, and how much money they could make. I think they just all had this dream and they saw that film A Hard Day's Night, at least, you know, John Phillips and, 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 uh, and, and Roger McGuinn had talked about, you know, mm -hmm. that at very, in their career. And they just were chasing that dream of being in a band. And so that opened up the avenues for them sharing their ideas and having a band with multiple singers and songwriters and in the end of the film you know you really you know you hear Jacob and Beck and Regina talk about how that the era begins with the Beatles on Ed Sullivan but that it that it ends when you know people are trying to just you know go their own way and and creative people are are, are coming together but they just don't want to compromise when they with their ideas and that's when Neil Young goes off and you know leaves the Buffalo Springfield so I mean that was you know that was our intention in terms of the arc of the story. Uh, yeah, and that, that ending, I don't want to give anything away for anybody, but there's an amazing, as the credits are rolling, it's just the most brilliant piece of footage. It's awesome. I was like, yes, when I sort of saw it. It's like, no words needed. I just need to watch this. This is brilliant. You know, well, the era ends. I mean, again, there's three, probably three sections of the Laurel Canyon scene or the Southern California music scene. You know, the first is 65 to 67 when they all come, or 65 when they all come to uh, California and they have multiple singers and songwriters. And then there's the psychedelic period where you have the doors and there's obviously influence from San Francisco. You know, the day destroys the night, night divides the day. Try to run, try to hide, break on through to the other side. Chased our pleasures here, dug our treasures there. third period really is the end of you know is the is the era of the singer songwriter that's when Joni Mitchell shows up and you know we weren't really exploring that period we but you know the end of the film sort of signifies you know psychedelia a psychedelic solo and yeah. uh 
you know, and, and the individual, you know, searching their own path. But that's a film for someone else to make. Jacob, how much did this scene influence you as a musician and a songwriter? Well, as a, as a songwriter, you know, I mean, I've always liked songs more than anything else, more than guitars and more than haircuts. I mean, I've always wanted, <laughs> that's always what I've been into. And it never mattered to me what era they came from, what scene they came from. But what I do like about that era quite a bit is that, you know, there was a big emphasis on, on the songs and writing the songs. And that's not, mean, that, it's not meant to be pretentious. It's just that that's just what I like for one reason or another. I just like good songs more than anything else. And, you know, they were right there at the very beginning of that. I mean, the whole road hadn't unraveled yet. Now people like me know you can do anything and there's absolutely no rules. And it's hard to imagine there's anything left to explore. But they were so close just coming out of the beginnings of rock and roll that it must have been beyond exciting to start learning daily what these things could do, these songs, how much they could do. But I, I mean, I'm not so sure that scene influenced me more than other scenes. There's a lot of scenes that influenced me, but you, you know, it takes a long time to make a movie about one year. So you know, there's, there's other eras we could have gotten to. There's, you know, we could have done a movie by 1968. You could do a movie about um, whether it's the punk scene in, in, in England, or you could do one about the, or the Southern California one here in the early 80s. And there are, they could all be great movies. But this was a nice place for us to start because it was really, you know, it was, it was universal because it begins with songs. It, there wasn't parts of it that were more interesting to me than other parts. I mean, there's, there's things about other scenes that I like, but not in its entirety. Uh, and it was also a good opportunity to talk to some of these people, which, as you learn, you know, won't be around forever to tell their stories. So I think a lot of them took the opportunity knowing that they've held out long enough to tell the stories. And I come from a very non-threatening place that I'm also a singer-songwriter these were all the every not just the songs we chose there's not a lot of records today from bands that the, the deep tracks are great these songs were great top to bottom all the records i love the idea that you've just given us you're going to make a whole kind of collection of these films about different no i'm not <laughs> <laughs> that'd be great <laughs> i also loved your reaction when david crosby mentioned your dad and you were kind of like okay no we're not going there sort of thing that was a very sweet and funny moment he's amazing david crosby i just Oh, wow, I could just listen to him talk for hours. One extraordinary man. Well, yeah, you know, and go figure David's the one who doesn't really, who couldn't care any less about the, you know, reading the room or not. And I, he's funny for that. Yeah, he, he poked around, but that's what he's made his, his <laughs> career is, uh, is uh, just saying exactly what he wants. He doesn't really care what anybody else thinks. And that's, that's why you never know what's coming out of his mouth. And sometimes it's awesome and sometimes it's a disaster. But yeah. that's what you get when you live on the edge like that. And he's funny. What were you both individually take, or what did you take away from this experience? What were you kind of come away from it thinking or feeling or, or happy that you were able to do? Mm. Andy, you got something? <laughs> <laughs> what are you happy about, Andy? Go ahead, tell me. California represents an idea of freedom. And people, you know, sometimes come here with dreams of things that they want to do or find something that they never knew that they wanted to do to do it. You know, it's this expansive place at the edge of <laughs> at the edge of America and for me I came here because I grew up in New York and you know my life was inside a little concrete park and you know uh, inside the canyons of those buildings and and I thought that there was a perhaps a better place as I listened to the sound of good vibrations and California dreaming you know as a kid All the leaves are
So being able to have an idea about this place and about what happened, perhaps an idyllic idea about what happened here, because I wasn't here in 67, and to be able to put that idea into, you know, into words and music with Jacob and the other artists that uh, contributed is a very powerful thing and life-affirming thing and, and allows me to tell a story that's been in my head for many, many years. It started as a rock critic. So what I take from it is that, number one, <laughs> documentary filmmaking is very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a long time. And um, that, you know, if you, if you don't take no for an answer and you just keep persevering, you can get to the finish line with something that you create, as any artist would tell you. Amazing. Jacob, do you want to add anything or? Uh, do I want to add anything or what I took from it? Yeah, what you took, yeah, what you, what you kind of took away from the experience. You know, I mean, I, I'm not a, I'm not a journalist and I don't do interviews on the, that end of the microphone. So that was new. And, and what, what I've taken from, you know, I mean, it was a good diversion, you know, I mean, I've been making records since 1992. So, you know, you get, you know, you got to get off that merry ground at some point. I had not taken the time throughout most of my career to do that. I don't mean take a break. I mean, do something wildly different than what you normally do. And that's good. It gives you perspective and it recharges you. And uh, if you're paying attention, you know, these people have a lot to share with you. You might not always catch it the first time around, but they've had enough time to sort through the experiences and give you the better parts of it. And also tell you what not to do. I mean, I think, I don't know how long ago David Crosby was willing to say that the reason he was fired from the birds was not because the songs were complicated or controversial, but because he was an asshole, as he says. <laughs> I don't know that he would have said that 20 years ago. Maybe he, I don't know that he did. Yeah. But he's had enough time now to put his career in perspective. And you can only learn from that. that, that, that that's teaching everybody else. So, um, you know, I learned that you can, you're never done learning. And I also learned that I, I would like to get in the studio and get back to what I normally do as well to take some of that information, whatever it was. Some of it you got your hand on and some of it you don't. Amazing. Um, thank you so much for your time and congratulations again on the film. It's a real treat to chat to you. Jacob, Andrew, thank you so much, guys. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much. I keep looking for a place to fit in where I can speak my mind And I've been trying hard to find the Say I got brains, but they ain't doing me no good. I wish they could. Each time things start to happen again, I think I got something good going for myself. What goes wrong? Now sometimes I feel very sad. Sometimes I feel very sad And sometimes I feel very sad And I guess I just wasn't made for these times From the album Echo in the Canyon That's I Wasn't Made for These Times by the Beach Boys As sung by Jacob Dillon and Neil Young. Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Jacob and Andrew Slater. My huge thanks to Jacob and Andrew for taking the time to talk to us. Echo in the Canyon is available on home entertainment formats and is a joyous hymn to a sun-kissed age of pop, rock and folk music. 
Head to edithbowman.com to catch up with all 200-odd episodes of the podcast, including my chat with Quentin Tarantino, who also paid homage to the era in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And please do subscribe to our YouTube channel to catch a little weekly show that I'm putting together featuring a whole host of familiar faces from the world of music and film. Next up, a soundtrack in live recorded earlier this year at the Glasgow Film Festival with Simon Bird, who a lot of you will know as one of the stars of The Inbetweeners. He's talking about his feature film debut as a director, which is the brilliant Days of the Bagnold Summer, and he's joined by the composer of the film, Stuart Murdoch from Bell and Sebastian. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. In the meantime, stay safe. <laughs>